All right, good, good. That's great. <clears throat> it's funny to read corrections in newspapers when they've made an error because sometimes the correction is more funny than the error itself. This was in a weekly publication. <clears throat> in last week's issue, a picture showed some very unusual oriental dishes that were enjoyed by a group of foreign exchange students. Me Tai Thin is a foreign exchange student who was standing at the center of the picture. We incorrectly listed her name as one of the items on the menu. We regret this error. The paper was trying to make something wrong right. And that's what we are going to be talking about today. Asking for forgiveness and offering forgiveness. The fact of life is this. You are going to be hurt. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But we all get hurt. And as I talk about forgiveness, some of you are going to call to mind some hurts and problems and issues from your past, we want to answer this question. <clears throat> Why should I be willing to forgive anyone who has hurt me? Now, after we discuss that, then we'll talk about some practical ways we can do that. First, we'll discuss the why, and then we'll talk about the how. So why should you and I be ready and willing to forgive the people who have hurt us in life? Well, number one, it's because God has forgiven me. The first reason why I need to be ready to forgive is because God has forgiven me. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. When I think about how much God has forgiven me, it causes me to want to try to be a little bit more forgiving toward other people. On the other hand, if I don't feel forgiven, then I'm going to have a tough time forgiving others. Remember this. This is the bottom line. Remember this. You will never have to forgive anybody more than God has already forgiven you. And as I think about how much God has forgiven me, continues to forgive me, and will have to forgive me in the future, it makes me want to be just a little bit more forgiving toward other people. Okay, here's another one. Another reason. Number two, it's because resentment doesn't work. This is one of those lessons that, that you probably have already learned from life, right? Resentment doesn't work. It is very self-destructive and counterproductive. And in the end, it always hurts you more than it does the other person. Now in the Bible, if there ever was a person who had the right to be bitter and hateful and resentful, 
It was a fella by the name of Job. He was the Donald Trump of his day, except Job had character. And by God's own standard, by His own statement, Job was the greatest man living morally, the greatest man religiously, the greatest man in terms of the amount of wealth that he had. God said, I have no other man like him in all of the East. And in one day, Job nearly lost everything that he had. His ten children were gathered at one of their homes for a birthday party or something when a freak windstorm swept across the desert and killed all ten. So ten graves now mark the spot where his children are. People from foreign lands come over and, and they steal his animals, his, his cattle, take control of his land. Job himself is stricken with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He's just one big giant sore. And he becomes very hateful, very bitter, very resentful, especially toward God. So one of his friends, Eliphaz, says this, to worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. At the side of your outline over, maybe on the left-hand side, you should have a little margin. Would you, if you're filling in the blanks, would you, and we keep record, by the way, of who fills in the blanks and who doesn't. Would you write, write this, it's unreasonable. Write that. I know the verse says it's foolish, senseless. Write, it's unreasonable. Would you agree that sometimes we are so filled with hate and bitterness and resentment that we do foolish things and we say foolish things. We make statements like, oh, I, I'm going to get even with him. I'm going to wring his neck. I was watching an old episode of The Three Stooges. And in this one scene, Mo keeps hitting Curly on the chest. And he goes like, and Curly says, man, man, Mo, stop that. And Curly says, whoa, 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 stop that, Mo. Curly's just getting all upset about it. He says, Ooh, I'm going to get even with Mo. So Curly straps a stick of dynamite on his chest and he, he tapes it on and he says, there. Now the next time Mo slaps me, he's going to get his hand blown off. Of course, Curly's going to get blown up in the process. That's the kind of thing that happens when we're resentful. It's kind of like strapping dynamite to your chest. It's always going to hurt you more than it does the other person. In many cases, they're just living life and going on and they don't have a clue that you're tearing yourself up on the inside. In Job 18.4, this is another one of Job's friends, a guy by the name of Bildad. He says, you are only hurting yourself with your anger. No matter how resentful or bitter you are toward the person who hurt you, an ex-husband, ex-wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, somebody at school or work, all 
the resentment in the world is not going to change the past. Somebody put it this way. Resentment is a self-inflicting wound like drinking, like drinking poison. Now there may be other people affected if you drink poison. People, your family and others. But the primary person who is being hurt is you. And so for your own health and happiness, you have to learn to let it go. <clears throat> this is Job 21. Some men stay healthy until the day they die. Well, have you noticed that? There's some folks, they just don't, they've never gone to the hospital. Others have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. When you hold on to your hurts, you are only hurting yourself. Have you ever said something like, oh, that person is a real pain in the neck? Or some other part of your anatomy. Medical research is suggesting that there may be some actual, literal truth to that statement. They have made the connection that in some situations, stress and bitterness and hate and resentment can actually contribute to physical pain in your life. So it's possible that that pain in the neck that you have or that pain in your back is the result of being so bitter and so stressed out and so unwilling to let the hurt and the pain go. So this guy goes to the doctor one day and he says, Doc, I have colitis. And the doctor says, hmm, well that's interesting. Just exactly who have you been colliding with? So that's a... So it's not so much what you eat as what's eating you that tears you up on the inside. Resentment does not work, and the Bible is very clear in teaching that we have to let it go. Okay, here's another one. Third reason is because I'm going to need forgiveness in the future. The reason why I need to be willing to forgive you to release you, is because I'm going to need some forgiveness in the future. The Bible says that forgiveness is a two-way street. You cannot expect anybody to forgive you if you are unwilling to forgive others. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the Lord's Prayer, this is what Jesus said. You can't, He said, But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now this is a key principle. You cannot receive what you are unwilling to give. Now I don't know what all of your personal deep hurts are, but I do know that for your own benefit, that you're going to have to let these things go. When you hold on to a hurt, you are allowing somebody from your past to continue to hurt you in the present, and that's foolish. They cannot hurt you unless you allow them to. I hear this statement quite a bit. Oh, 
I, I could never forgive that person. I could never forgive them for what they did. If you only knew what they did. Anytime I hear that statement, that says to me that they probably don't understand what forgiveness is. If you understand biblical forgiveness, then you're probably going to be able to do it. The problem is that there are a lot of myths and misconceptions as to exactly what forgiveness is. So here are some things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. That's not forgiveness. It's not saying, oh, it was no big deal. Yes, it was a big deal. Now, most of you are familiar with the murder that took place a few months ago over in Pensacola. The Billings family who adopted and cared for a number of special needs children were murdered. Much of the murder was on the surveillance surveillance tapes that they had around their house. Seven or eight people have been indicted and will be on trial for the murder. They've interviewed the Billings daughter a couple of times. What if the daughter said something like this? I forgive those people who murdered my parents, but it was really no big deal. Forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. That's not forgiveness. Number two, forgiveness is not the instant restoration of trust. Forgiveness is instant. When you forgive, that, that's instant. I, I forgive, God forgives. That's instant. Trust, however, has to be built over time. Has to be rebuilt over time. If somebody has betrayed you, you must forgive them, but you are not obligated to instantly trust them again because they have no track record. So let's make a practical application of that. You can forgive an abusive husband. You can forgive him. But you are under no obligation to let him back into the house. You hear what I just said? You as a Christian woman have the obligation to forgive. But that doesn't mean that you turn the knob and let them back into the house. Trust must be built over time. You can forgive a person instantly, but you are not obligated to automatically restore them to a position of trust because trust has to be earned. And that gives brings us to the next one. Forgiveness is not resuming the relationship without any changes. Forgiveness is not resuming the relationship without any changes. Here's what people think. 
if I forgive somebody, then I have to accept them back just like they are and let them continue to hurt me. No, no. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. See what I'm saying? We're getting forgiveness and reconciliation mixed up. It's not the same. For a relationship to be restored, the offender has to do three things. Number one, repent. Change their mind. Change their attitude. Say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. Number two, restitution when possible. That's not always possible. And number three is rebuild trust over time. Now, some of you have been hurt so badly by a loved one that the mere thought of forgiving them is almost unthinkable in your mind. That's why we need to do four things in order to experience the freedom of forgiveness. Number one is we're going to have to recognize that we're all imperfect. We're all imperfect. When we hate somebody, what happens is we tend to lose our perspective and two things happen. Number one, we dehumanize them. And number two, we demonize them. The fact of the matter is that we are all sinners who have done things wrong and who have hurt people intentionally. Now, I understand your sin may not be as bad as their sin. I understand, I had quotation marks around, as bad as. I understand that with different sins, there are some further reaching consequences than with other sins. But the truth is, we are all imperfect human beings. In Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says, there is not a single person in all the earth who is always good and never sins. We're all imperfect. And they have wronged you. And that's a very serious, serious thing. And we're not minimizing it. But at the same time, they're not just an animal. They may have acted like an animal, and there's probably a lot of animals that maybe act better than they do. But they are basically a human being. So we must remember that we're all imperfect. Second thing is you have to relinquish your right to get even. You're going to have to give up your right to get even. I know this is getting to the point where it's almost anti-American. They may bring me in before the anti-American committee in Congress. I don't know on this point. Relinquish my right to get even. This is Romans 12. Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for He has said He will repay those who deserve it. So the second step in forgiveness is, I will give up my right to get even with you. You deserve to be hurt by me, but I'm giving up my right to do that. Now, is that fair? Oh, no, that's not fair. I read through the Bible a couple of months ago looking for the verse that said life is fair. Have you all come across the, the verse yet? 
I came across one where Jesus was looking at the cross and he said, in the world you have trouble. So, no, life is not fair. Is it fair that God has forgiven you and me and just let us walk scot-free? Is that really fair? No, that's not fair either. So leave any getting even to God and remember that one day He's going to settle the score and have the last word. So how often do I need to release this desire that I have to get even? As often as the memory comes back. You see, forgiveness is not a one-shot deal. It's not like, I forgive you! And that's good until the year 2026. You know what I'm saying? Like one time, all time. That doesn't work that way. If the memory comes back 68 times a day, you know how many times you have to release them that day? 68 times. It's not going to be a one time and then you're going to be fine. It's going to be a struggle. But with, we'll talk about that. With the help of the Lord, you can do it. This is Matthew 18. Uh, Ricky read the verses before this a few moments ago. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, <clears throat> how often should I forgive? I love Peter, don't you? Isn't that just great? Lord, how often do I have to go to church? Do we have to go on Wednesday night? <clears throat> Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? I, I was thinking the first time I read that. Wow, this guy's generous. No, Jesus replied, 70 times seven. Don't even try to count. Release the pain and let it go. The longer you hold on to the pain, the longer they're going to control you. Now, here's what you may have to do. Write a letter. And in that letter, express how you feel and then tear it up and never send it. Have you ever done one of those letters? Or you, I, you can maybe type it, type it out. I'm talking about you, you, you write something out how you feel. This is, I'm writing this to, to whoever it is. And then you don't actually send it though. You just tear up. That helps you to get it out from the inside. Why are you doing this? So you can be free and you can stop letting people from the past continue to control you in the present. So you have to give up your right to get even. Number four, fourth thing, we want to experience freedom is respond to evil with good. It doesn't even, that's not, that's not human instinct, is it? This really isn't human nature. Human nature is when, you know, they, they come after you with a stick, you want to go after them with a bat. You know, that's human nature. We have to go against human nature and follow biblical principles. Respond to evil with good. How do you know when you have fully released someone? Well, a couple of things, a couple of indicators. Number one, you're willing to do good to them. Number two, you're willing to pray for them. This is Luke 6. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, when I read that, here's what comes to my mind. There's no way we are going to be able to do this on our own power. Humanly speaking, you don't have enough love and forgiveness in your life to continually forgive all of the people who have hurt you. It takes God's power. The only way you're going to be able to do this is if you let Jesus fill your life 
with His love and His forgiveness. And the reason is this. Human love runs out. Human love runs down. Human love just just wears out. This is 1 Corinthians 13. It says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. When you're filled with love, you don't keep a record of all of the wrongs that have been done. If you're still keeping score, you are filled with hate, bitterness, and resentment. Don't say that you're filled with love and forgiveness when you are still keeping a record of all of the wrongs done. So respond to evil with good as the opportunity arises. And then four, refocus on God's plan for your life. Refocus on God's plan for your life. Sometimes, somehow, we have to get our focus off of what's what's happened and get it on to something positive. Stop focusing on the offense and start focusing on what God wants you to do. If you don't release the person who hurt you, you're going to resemble that person. It's true. It's a law of life. You are going to become like whatever it is you're spending all your time focusing on. Well, I, I'm, I'm never gonna be like my dad. I'm never gonna be like my mom. Oh yeah? What are you focusing on all the time? You have to release or else the hate in your heart will eat you up. It's a very interesting phenomenon, but oftentimes within families and successive generations, you can see certain behavior patterns passed on. Now, I'm not talking about physical things in the DNA, like color of your eyes or hair, stuff like that. I'm talking about behavioral patterns. It is not unusual for abuse to go from parents to children, to grandchildren, it is not unusual to see incest run in families. Why? Is it because they like abuse or incest? No, no, not at all. If you spend all of your time focusing on a particular thing, you may not want to do it but you oftentimes end up doing it. And that's why it's important that we have within our lives a power greater than ourselves. Now, there's three steps on getting your life refocused. Let me read the passage from Job. This is out of the Living Bible. Put your heart right. Reach out to God. Then, after you've put your heart right, reached out to God, face the world again. Firm and courageous. Then, all your troubles will fade from your memory like floods that are past and remembered no more. Did you see the three steps? Isn't it amazing how the Bible just kind of fits into life? 
Number one is you have to put your heart right. So, so well, I don't feel like it. Yeah, I have some advice for you. Do it anyway. Because your feelings will eventually follow your actions. See, if you start to act like, act in a loving way, you'll start to feel loving. See, you can't, you can't live life based on your feelings. We have to do certain things and then understand that certain things will follow. Like if you all say to me, I don't care for Bruce, that would be a very, well, never mind. But if you all said that, I don't care for Bruce, I don't care for Bruce, I don't care for Bruce, but I'm going to make an effort to show love to Bruce, show love to Bruce, show love to Bruce. Eventually, you're going to start feeling like, I kind of like Bruce. See, your feelings follow your actions. And then two, you have to reach out to God. Ask Jesus to help you because you do not have enough power and forgiveness to do it on your own. You may have to say 1,000 times a day, and that'd be quite a few times an hour, right? Lord, fill me with your love, peace, and forgiveness. Lord, I can't do this on my own. Fill me with your love and forgiveness right now. And then three, you have to face the world again. This is tough. So you're going to have to go against your feelings because your feelings are going to tell you something different. Don't withdraw into a shell and and build a wall around you and say, I'm going to become a porcupine and not let anybody get close to me. Now, the logic is good. The logic is great because the logic is this. If I isolate myself from other people, Nobody will be able to hurt me. Boy, it sounds good. But there's a problem with it. When you cut yourself off from love, and it is true when we open ourselves up to love, we're obviously opening ourselves up to being hurt, often very deeply. But if you cut yourself off from love, your heart is going to shrivel up and die. Now notice the result. This is at the end of the passage. I like this. Then all your troubles will fade from your memory like floods that are past and remembered no more. Uh, this is probably, possibly a reference to Noah's flood because this book was possibly written only about 200 or 200 year, 250 years after the flood. And it's possible that Noah's son Shem is still alive at the time that this book was being written. But it's interesting. Does it amaze you how quickly people forget the devastation that a flood causes? You know, a flood just gone. Well, we're going to start building my house right back here on the floodplain next week. Can't wait to get the house back. Quickly we forget devastating things in our lives. But the principle of the verse is great. Your memories will fade away. Doesn't say they're going to be erased, but they'll at least become a little faded and a little ragged around the edges so that you won't have those memories affecting your happiness and your joyfulness in the present. I would like to lead us in a prayer, if you will bow with me, please. Father, I admit that I've been hurt by 
people. And there's I, I've been filled with resentment a lot of times. Probably more than I'm willing to admit to this group. And my resentment has made me act in ways that I know are unhealthy, unhelpful, certainly unbiblical. Would you please give me the power to release and forgive people who have hurt me so I can stop letting them con- control my life? Would you replace my hurt with with some peace and some happiness, and some inner joy and contentment? I really want to refocus my life on you, and I want to ask you to help me to that I can face the world again. And so these memories and these hurts can can fade at least to the point that I can get on with everyday life. I ask you to take over the controls of my life and lead me and guide me and please fill me with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Will is going to lead us in our invitation hymn. If you have a particular need, if we can pray for you, whether it's publicly or, or, or privately in, in, a, in an office or something, or if you need to be baptized, if we can assist you in any way, please let us know while we stand and sing.